Just again to thank you, the worship team. Thank you for leading us in worship. Thank you for just the way that you guys serve in the church. It is always a privilege. Next week we are we're going to be starting a new series. You'll see it on the board there on your right. Um, and uh, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we believe that's going to be a, an appropriate series in the life of the church. And, uh, but this morning, uh, just before we get into that, I want to uh, focus on what I guess can be called the most important parable that Jesus ever told. It is the, the parable of the sower. And one of the reasons that parable stands head and shoulders above all the other parables, it shows us why some people benefit so much from God's Word and why other people don't. Why is it that some people seem to grow and others don't? Why is it that some people just seem to thrive in their walk with God and others don't? Why is it that some people go the distance and other people just seem to fall away so easily? Remember as a as a young uh, pastor, relatively new in ministry, my life was deeply impacted after spending time with, with one of the men, and it was certainly a privilege for me, who was uh, part of the team that did the translation work for what we know today as the NIV Bible. And he was part of the team that did the translation uh, on John's Gospel. And, and from our conversation and the time that we spent together, he recognized that I needed a deeper work of the Spirit of God in my life as a young pastor. And so he recommended that I read a particular book that had been very helpful to him. And as I began to read through this book, uh, it was uh, the story of a man who'd been a professor of theology at a seminary, uh, and, and, and how he spoke in that book a little bit about the way that his approach to the Bible and his approach to the Word of God had stifled the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And how God had to, had to uh, spend time with him and, and how he had to, had to relook his whole attitude to God's Word. And I remember after reading that book how it helped me tremendously with my own attitude and approach to what God's Word taught about the ministry of the Spirit. And, and almost immediately after doing that, I saw the result and the impact of that uh, in the, the ministry that I was involved in in our church at that particular point in time. And I've come to realize that it's the way we respond to God's Word that has a powerful impact on what He's doing in our lives. How we respond to the Word of God. And, and as I stand here and preach this morning, I want to say to you, I've seen how my own life has been changed. I see how I've grown and matured, how my approach to ministry has changed primarily because of my attitude and approach to God's Word itself. It's been because of God's Word that I've gained a true perspective of the character of God, not from the circumstances around me. You know, if you're going to try and figure out the character and nature of God by looking at what's going on in your life, you're going to get a pretty warped idea of who God is. You've got to go to the Word of God for that. 
It was through God's word that I, I discovered that people can be free from their past hurts and, and the things that have happened in their lives and, and they begin to experience the healing power of God in their lives. It's through God's word that I've come to understand that signs and miracles and wonders still happen today. That's not something that was relegated to the apostles of 2,000 years ago. It's through the study of God's word that I've realized the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in my life. And it's through God's word that I've realized that every single person from Wherever you like, across the world and in our country, everybody is precious in the sight of the Lord. Those are the things, some of them, and I could go on and on and on, but those are the things that have shaped me as a believer and as a Christian and as a pastor. Now, this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples in the parable of the sower, that God's word will bear incredible fruit in people's lives when it's been received in the right way. So let's read those first few verses of Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat and he sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, and then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And Jesus told many parables. We know this is the first in many, of par many parables uh, that he told. But Jesus tells parables not just because he loves telling stories, but they were ways in which he conveyed deep spiritual truths to people who were willing to believe him. In Matthew 13, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to people in parables? And he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of heaven or of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. In this parable, we discover why it is that some people benefit so much from God's word and why some, some don't. And I want to share with you four reasons, because I think the parable itself outlines four reasons why people, some people benefit so much from God's Word, and why other people don't benefit from God's Word. And the first is this, that the devil will do everything he can to keep people from being exposed to the Word of God. In the interpretation Jesus gives of this parable, he says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. And one of the secrets of the kingdom that Jesus wanted his disciples to know is this. There is a spiritual battle that takes place every time the word of God is preached. 
There is a spiritual battle that's taking place every time the Word of God is preached. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he he spoke about it like this. He said, the message of the cross is foolishness to people who are perishing. They do not understand it. It it, it makes no sense to them. There's no understanding. But then he goes on in 2 Corinthians and he said, for the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you see there's a spiritual battle that's going on? And you see what happens as soon as the, the, there is an un, a lack of understanding of God's word, the enemy wants to snatch it away. That's what Jesus is teaching. Friends, I've, I've been thinking about that quite a lot. Why would the enemy want to snatch away the word? Because he knows the word is so powerful when it takes root. He knows it. May I say to you, friends, when God's word takes root in your life and my life, it is powerful. It is transformational. You cannot receive this word and embrace this word without it significantly changing your life and my life. That's why when Paul was, uh, was traveling and he was preaching, he, he asked for prayer. And he asked for prayer specifically that words would be given to him so that he could articulate the message of the kingdom and that he would have a boldness when he preached it. Pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me. Words may be given to me so that I'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Friends, may I say to you this morning, People's lives are transformed when they respond to the word of the Lord. They are changed. They are different. We remember in Acts 8, and Saul was going around and he started an intense persecution of believers. And then it says those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. And goes on to say there was great joy in the city because God started to work in people's hearts. But let us not forget this morning, and I know this is often used for missionaries, and I think that's sad that it is, but let's, let's look at what Paul says in Romans 10. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. You know that's the mystery of the gospel. All people come to God through Christ whether Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they ascend? And as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Friends, that's why we preach the Word of God. That's why we pray for people. That's why we trust God for miracles. We believe that however unimpressive the message about the kingdom might appear, when we proclaim it in the power of the Spirit, People get saved. May I say to you this morning, or may I ask you this morning, don't water down the message of the kingdom. Because when we water it down, we get diluted believers. And we need anything but diluted believers in the times in which we are living. 
And the second reason that some people benefit so much from God's Word and others don't is because there's a very big difference between emotion and conviction. It's easy to get emotional about God's Word. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the Word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, he quickly falls away. Now, I want us to be very careful here when we talk about having a joyful response to God's Word, because I think that's an appropriate response. I think it's great to receive God's, God's Word with joy in our hearts. But what Jesus is saying is that's not enough. It's got to go beyond just a joyful response. There's got to be a root. We've got to be rooted in God's Word. Remember that Jesus is describing people's response to God's Word. And God's Word has got a quality all of its own. For the Word of God, Hebrews says, is living and active. It is an amazing thing that this book has no equal to it. There is no other book on the planet that is equal to this. Because this Word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It touches the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. We know that very familiar scripture in 2 Timothy, don't we? For... All Scripture is God-breathed. It has life because, because it is inspired by God. In other words, Jesus is saying when somebody is deeply rooted in God's Word, it enables them to navigate opposition and persecution when it comes their way. And friends, I've discovered reading the Bible, and I've even discovered in the, the times in which we are living, have you noticed there is a growing opposition to God's Word and to the faith, even in South Africa? But when you go back to God's Word, you see the incredible opposition that people faced who believed in Jesus preached the, and preached the Word of God. In Acts chapter 5, we have an example of that where they called in the apostles and they had them flogged. They didn't reprimand them, they flogged them. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And you know what? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Friends, that's when the word has got root in your heart. It changes our response. It makes our response very different. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were in prison. And prison wasn't a good place. It was very different to the prisons. If you think the prisons here are bad. But it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Friends, their hearts were changed. There was a root. And when persecution came, you know what happened? Something rose up in believers that was different. I'm reading a book at the moment, which is written by a South African author, called Capacity. 
And, and in this book, the, the author addresses the issue of us not just growing in biblical knowledge, but us actually growing in our capacity, our spiritual capacity as Christians. And I want to read to you what he says, just a, an extract. He says, I realize that the greatest or one of the greatest needs of our time is an increase in spiritual capacity, not just an increase in biblical knowledge, not an increase in spiritual leadership, but a capacity that will result in depth and stamina, unparalleled love, unconditional forgiveness, servanthood, humility, virtue, and godliness. Sadly, these virtues are often lost, a lost dimension due to an over emphasis on knowledge. Friends, I, I really believe that's almost a prophetic word to us as a generation of Christians. We've got to grow in our capacity. And I don't for a moment want to downplay the importance of, of knowledge. But friends, if knowledge is an end in and of itself, we're going nowhere. We've got to allow this knowledge to transform us so that we grow in capacity. I think if you're going to be a Christian in the days that lie ahead in our country, you and I need to have capacity to go the distance. Another reason God's Word is so beneficial to some and not to others is that wealth and worry need to be seen for what they are. One who received the seed that fell among the thorns is, is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. What Jesus is saying here is very powerful. He's saying when we receive the word of God in the right way, it changes our attitude to money and possessions, even to our career and our, the jobs that we do. He says it changes our attitude to our whole approach to life. I've just seen so many people are stressed out and worried as never before. In Acts chapter 4, we see the response of, of the early believers to the needs that they were facing around about them in their communities. It says all the believers were one in heart. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. I think that's unusual. It says from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now, I just see there we're reading about the response of believers as they sat under the apostles' teaching that their lives were transformed, even their approach to what they owned and their possessions. But that, you can say, well, that's fine to talk about those who had, had houses to sell. Well, I don't have any house to sell. I'm actually struggling quite a lot. I'm quite poor. Well, what about Paul's word that he writes to, uh, to the Corinthian church? Brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches out of their so most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity, friends. You see, everybody's life has changed. Our approach to, to money and wealth and possessions changes when the word of God gains root in our lives. I was very, very encouraged. Where's Don? I think he's sitting over there. You, how many of you were here a little while back when we had all the displays in the hall and that, that Sunday was great, wasn't it? 
I think there were 29 different displays out in the hall there. And you can speak to Don afterwards. One of the projects that they've been involved in is building a community center. And he said after that Sunday, and was really something we celebrated as, as elders this week at our elders meeting, was uh, Mark Anderson was telling us how one person donated 60% of the cost of building a community center from this church. Friends, you don't do that unless your heart's different. Somebody else was, uh, who, was, who was, uh, has a ministry to abused women. And somebody came around and was talking to them about uh, their ministry to abused women and said, you know what, I've got a house in Johannesburg. I'd like to give you the house so that you can minister to abused women. I mean, things like that don't happen unless the Word of God has changed your heart. Let's be honest. That's, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about over here. But maybe this is a more sensitive one to say that when we receive the Word of God in the right way, it will set us free from worry and anxiety controlling our lives. Now, I don't want to, be, I don't want to say you're never going to worry. I think that's life. There is a difference between some of the issues that we are concerned about and worry and anxiety controlling us. Remember, one of the areas that Jesus himself spoke into is the area of when we have need of what we will eat and what we will drink and what we will wear. And he says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Pagans run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Of course, that we mustn't miss over, but seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added. By the way, he... I think that verse has been misused a lot to mean like all our wants will be. No, it's our needs will be met. What about Philippians 4? Do not be anxious about anything. Friends, and I, I believe in the kingdom, God does not want us to live a life of worry controlling us. But then you see, the fourth example that Jesus gives over here. He says that God's word bears fruit because God is at work in people's lives through his word. God's at work in your life. God's at work in my life through his word. The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. And Jesus is revealing, I think, something very powerful to his disciples. Remember, this is prior to them, his ascension when they received the Spirit and they started ministering on their own. But he's, he's, he's revealing something very powerful to them. Even though some people are going to be hostile to the gospel, even when wealth and worry stifle spiritual growth, the Word of God will continue to bear fruit in people's lives when it's proclaimed. That's what happened. You remember some people were hostile to them, but they preached. You remember that there was a lot of unbelief and skepticism, but they preached. And friends, you know what? You discover churches and groups of believers in every city as they preach the Word of God. Because when the Word of God is preached it, and it lands on fertile soil, people's lives are changed. That's how it works. Listen to Paul's words and I think encouragement to the Thessalonians. For we know, brothers loved 
by God that He's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the kind of revelation we need today when we sense there is a growing hostility and animosity to the proclamation of God's Word? When, when wealth and worry hinder the work of God in people's lives. It's because of this revelation that the disciples went and they preached the Word. Even when there was opposition. Even when they were chased out of cities. Even when they were stoned and imprisoned. They understood something very powerful from this parable. God is at work in people's lives through His Word. You remember that very first sermon that was ever preached? 3,000 people get saved because of the preaching of the Word. May I say this morning, this parable shows us just how effective the Word of God will be in people's lives when they respond to it in the right way. May I say that probably most of us here this morning have probably got a couple of Bibles on their shelves. Most of us are very familiar with the words in this book. But may I say to you, they are the Word of God to you. They are there to transform our lives. They're here to change my life and they're there to change your life. And friends, if you ever get to the place where you start reading the Bible and you say, I've just read that so many times again, I, before, I think you need a pause and you say to God, will you stir my heart again because you are hearing from heaven. I want to say to you that there are people here who are doubting God's word and, 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 I, and I want to talk about that a minute, for a minute. Do you remember when the, um, the disciples were praying for um, it's either in, in Matthew 17 or 19. They were praying for a, a young boy that Jesus had brought to them for healing. And uh, they were unable to, well, God didn't work through all of their prayers and trusting God. And, and Jesus came down from the mountain. He had been transfigured uh, in the presence of James, Peter, and John. Comes down there, prays for this young boy, and instantly he's delivered of a demon and he's healed. And they come to him and they say, Lord, what was going on here? He said, oh, you of little faith. And I always wondered, why, why did Jesus say that to them? What was he trying to get at? Well, if you read that same story in some of the other Gospels, you'll discover that there was an argument that was taking place between the Jewish leadership and the disciples. And obviously in that process, there was enough doubt cast into their minds around in Jesus and his word that they began to doubt. And friends, I, I, I believe in good, healthy debate. But I want to say to you, be careful of the skepticism of our society and the impact that it can have on you and me holding fast to this word. There will be times you will doubt, and that's okay. But if you doubt, bring it to the Lord and deal with it. Don't live 
with doubt. Don't allow doubts. Have you noticed that the Bible is central to so many debates that are happening at the moment? The Bible is central to the debate around the issue of gender, the issue of homosexuality, the issue of abortion. There are so many issues on which the Bible is central. Have you noticed how much debate there is going on at the moment and how that's affecting people? I think that issue of capacity to me is a huge issue. Read this. At least read it. And then meditate on it. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 1 we spoke about that some weeks ago. Yes, Blessed is the man who meditates on it day and night. Or as was spoken to Joshua, meditate on a day and night in order to do everything that is in it. Friends, we need to receive it. It needs to have root in our lives because we're going to face the stuff. It's not a maybe, it's a definite. But isn't it amazing when you face it, you face it so differently when this word has root in our lives. And there's last, one last thing I want to finish with. And it's something that's, that's been sort of going on in my heart and mind for the last week or ten days or so. Do we still have the boldness to proclaim the Word of God that Christians used to? And I'm not talking about doing it insensitively. It sounds to me that very often our voices have been silenced. Friends, people will not come to know Jesus and be saved without you and me proclaiming the word. People don't get saved through musicals. People don't get saved through wonderful things happening. They get saved when they hear the message of the gospel. It's the only way. And, and, I've, and, and I want to say this to you as a pastor. I've sort of, I've heard people come to me and say, John, you know, I heard the song and I got saved. And I said, okay, well, okay, that's wonderful. But then I watch their life. And then I wonder whether they've actually got saved or whether it was just a nice emotional experience to a great song. I want to encourage you, maybe some of you here tonight, to come, uh, to come tonight, this morning, to come tonight. And Howard is going to speak about this, this issue of this is how we know. There's the series. Because God's Word transforms people's lives. That's the nature of the Gospel. I heard uh, somebody put it like this said, and, and understand it in its context, that my life has, God has wrecked my life. So I can never go back to what I was because of where I am today. Do you remember what the disciples, when, when Jesus started telling people that he would be crucified, says the crowds left him. And then, he said to his disciples, will you also leave me? And they said to him, and where are we going to go? We are so changed. To ask us to go back is impossible.
That's the power of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Just in the light of, of the message this morning, I'd love, to, I'd love you not to leave um, our meeting, the building today, without having identified what the Spirit of God has put on your heart. And I know that God works differently as when we sit and listen to a message like this, but, but I believe God is wanting to, to entrench something in our hearts this morning because it's important to the way you live, because it's important to what you may need to be, what you might need to face, because it's important to your spiritual journey right now. There are important things that the Holy Spirit is impressing on your heart. And, and that needs to take root. It needs to be strongly established in you. You need to meditate on it and embrace it. And pray over it. And allow it to shape your thinking. Because it's God's word to you. I'd like to just ask you, I'm going to just allow a few, a little bit of silence. But, but maybe you can say to yourself, and just reinforce it. This is, thank you Lord, for impressing this on me this morning. Whatever that is from the Lord. Pray that what God has impressed on your heart will bear fruit. For some of you, a hundredfold, others sixtyfold, others thirtyfold. But we're going to be people who are fruit bearers. Our lives are bearing fruit because of what God is doing in us. That's what Al was saying earlier on. He's saying we are different because we are changed, we are transformed. We are no longer what we were. And the journey is not over. There's more to come. And so God, we say, change our hearts, O oh God. Change our hearts. Continue to change us. May we be changed from one degree of glory to another. Lord, may these ordinary earthly vessels, Lord, continue to display the treasure that is in us of the power of of the Word of God, and the awesomeness of the Spirit of the Lord. Holy Spirit, move in your church again with great power. Move amongst us this morning, God. We recognize and we acknowledge we want to go deeper with you. We want to be stronger in you. We want to have a greater capacity to love and to forgive, and to be servants, and to be humble, and to be like Jesus. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would enable us to have an incredible capacity to be like Jesus. Because it's your design and desire that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that in his name. Amen.
Okay, are we gonna? Can we do a song to?